spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Well, good Monday morning. Thanks so much for starting your week off with us. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanju Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This morning, of course, we will be spotlighting what took place on Saturday night here in Hawaii. The primary election was held, and we're going to be speaking with two gentlemen who've been pretty busy over the last few days sharing their insights. <laughs> I would say so. We're all still digesting the results. And to help us do that, we've invited political powerhouses, Neil Milner and Colin Moore, of course, both great political analysts. We're so lucky to have you. Thank you for being here. Welcome. Great to be here. So Colin, let's start with you. Overall impressions of what we saw on Saturday. Anything surprising to you? Uh, just how are you feeling about what you saw? I don't think there was anything shocking. I mean, BJ Penn winning the Republican nomination would have been surprising. And of course, that didn't happen. Duke Iona won pretty decisively. Josh Green won uh, pretty much as the polls predicted. It might have been a bit surprising that Vicki Cayetano came in second. But remember, she spent $3 million. That's as much as Josh Green. And Kaikahele only spent about a quarter of a million dollars, you know, and his campaign was really hobbled by missing that deadline to get public funding. There were a few upsets we can talk about in some of the down ticket races. Um, but, you know, overall, a pretty predictable result. Um, even voter turnout, which we had thought was going to be quite low um, in these later printouts, um, has really come up to about what we'd expect. And, and it wasn't as terrible as was first reported. We're, we're right around Colorado. Uh, we certainly did better than in 2018. So actually, this was a pretty normal election, I would say. And Neil, your thoughts about what we saw on Saturday night, uh, particularly with the race for governor, uh, your thoughts about what we saw with both the Democrat and Republican tickets? Well, I think the Democratic, you know, I always complain that we don't poll enough in this state, that the polls we do are generally good, but that you can't trace trends over time. But it turns out that what we saw at the beginning of this is pretty much what we saw at the end in regard to Josh Green's strength. Um, I think the Republican primary was interesting because it once again demonstrated the weakness of the Republican Party because the kinds of candidates that could have emerged uh, didn't do very well for different reasons. Heidi Tsunayoshi, who you could see as a kind of uh, young conservative, not necessarily uh, obviously Trumpian Republican that would fit into the Republican mode pretty well, disappeared from the scene, really disappeared. And B.J. Penn didn't do what B.J. Penn probably could have done, I, pretty sure he could have done better. But I agree with Colin. Overall, it was a kind of ordinary Hawaii kind of election. The celebrations were the same kind of celebrations the next day. There were some closer races than we expected. But, you know, you could have plugged me in four years ago and I could have said a lot of the same things. And that's there's some important structural issues there we can talk about later about why that's the case. You know, it's not just about good and bad candidates. 
Well, let's talk about uh, the lieutenant governor's race, because going into that race, there were so many undecided voters. If you look at the polls, Neil, let's start with you on this one. Uh, how do you think that that all shook out and why do you think Sylvia Luke did as well as she did? Well, the most obvious reason why Sylvia Luke did what she did, there was not there were it was a fairly high number of undecided. But basically, you had a bunch of candidates who were competent and probably more similar than they were different. The most obvious thing that seemed to happen at the end is that the negative ads against her didn't work and may have turned people off. There's undoubtedly some truth to that. And it's a very self-serving explanation about how Hawaii is different because they reacted negatively to those kind of ads. But I think in those in that cases, they uh, th that made a difference. The Carpenters Union got very heavy handed and in a lot of ways, very cocky about the way they've handled this. They've been better with negative ads uh, before and more successful. So I think that that's the main reason. I think Sylvia Luke ran a good campaign. She, but there, there was a fundamental jump between where she was in the last polling and to be what about 10 points ahead of Ikaika? Yeah, and, and I want to ask you, Colin, I mean, when you look at some of these candidates, especially on the Democratic ticket, with the amount of uh, candidates that were running, say, for governor and lieutenant governor, what is their future? You know, looking down the ticket, Vicky Cayetano, will we see her potentially running again? Or Kai Kahele and, and some of these other lieutenant governor candidates like Anderson or uh, Manor McNamara? I mean, do you think that we've seen, we will see some of these names come up in the future? We're definitely going to see some of them come back. I mean, I think... For first-time candidates like Vicky Cayetano, once they've got a taste of campaigning and really have built that name recognition, they, they likely come back. I think Kaika Hele, it's really going to depend on you know, how his supporters feel. But he also strikes me as someone who, you know, he's playing a little bit of a martyr this uh, you know, during this campaign. He really was quite angry at the media for the way his campaign or they reported about his campaign. I could see him coming back, potentially running for something like uh, Big Island Mayor. I think he's going to have a tough time getting back in Congress, um, although though I could see him running against Josh Green again in four years. It's going to be a little hard for Green, harder for Green in four years. Uh, because uh, Hawaii, governors of Hawaii haven't been very popular the last couple of times. I mean, of course, David Ige won re-election, but his approval ratings have been very bad. And Governor Neil Abercrombie didn't win his primary. So there's probably going to be a chance, potentially, uh, for Kahele to, uh, to challenge Green, if that's what he decides to do. He could also just go back to being a pilot. Right. And of course, before Green, uh, you know, we can't make the assumption that he necessarily will be the governor. You know, Hawaii likes Democrats, but he does still face a, uh, an election in, uh, in November. Uh, Colin, stick with that race for a second. Let's talk about what you're expecting to see uh, about the dynamics between Duke Iona and Josh Green uh, in the next few months. That's right. That's a good point. Josh Green still has to win the general and he is running against a pretty formidable candidate, Duke Iona. Um, you know, Duke Iona really tried to say as little as possible in this primary. I think he and I think that was smart. I think the Republican Party is pretty divided between the more populist Trump style Republicans and the more kind of traditional center right Linda Lingle style Republicans. And I think in some of the debates, you'd notice that the Duke Iona really tried not to talk a lot about policy details uh, to make sure that, you know, really he was relying on his name recognition to put him through. He is a very popular individual candidate. As a person, people like him. But he's also a Republican. And, and that's a very difficult brand here. And what 
the Democrats are going to do and Josh Green is going to do is continually remind people that Duke Iona is a Republican to try to connect him to that more conservative mainland brand. I, I don't think at the end of the day, it's going to be a terribly competitive race, although Josh Green will have to work to get those Kahele supporters, the Cayetano supporters back in his camp. Some of them might not come, but I think most of them will. And Neil, your thoughts about just the Republican ticket uh, with not only, of course, Dugayona, but his now running mate in, in Tupai. Uh, we've seen this ticket in the past in the Republican Party. I mean, the last election with Kearns and Dupola uh, publicly getting into spouts and, and fights with each other, uh, yet running on the same ticket. Your thoughts on how these two will complement each other and if they stand a chance again, a formidable, a formidable ticket like Green and Luke? Wait, I'm trying to write down everything Colin said because I'm writing a piece on Civil Beat about that. So <laughs> I guess I got it all down now. I think I, I'm not nearly as uh, optimistic about Duke Iona as, um, as Colin is. I think as electorally he's jumped the shark um, and that if you look at the, the gubernatorial elections that he lost, he lost badly. And, and when I say this, I want you to understand, it's not just about Duke Iona, it's about the status of the Republican Party here. So um, I think that, I, I don't think there's that much hope for, for Duke at all on this. I think, and, and part of the reason is that I don't see where the rest of the ticket is going to make much of a difference. Tupai really campaigned hard, and I don't think there's going to be a fight between those two. I think that I think that's going to stay united because I think Iona does that sort of thing very well. But on the other hand, I just don't, there really isn't a Republican ticket. There really isn't, a, there really aren't a bunch of people who can add heft and to, to the Republican Party. The, the populist wing may be, may be there, but they're very quiet and they're not mobilized very well. And B.J. Penn, who I think could have done it, didn't do it. Uh, I, don't, I think B.J. Penn turned out to be much more of a quiet guy and of a shy guy than you would expect from him. The, the traditional conservative wing of the Republican Party, I don't know what you say about them anymore because they don't say anything about themselves. And Colin is right. If you listen to the way Duke talked in the primary from day, I mean, in the debates from day one, he was talking as if he was a favorite, which he was, which means that his tendency not to get too ideological was even more matted down. Um, so, but there are all kinds of things that uh, Democrats might decide to do, um, which is to call out the Republicans in regard to some of the things that the national Republicans who are, I mean, just going off the rails are doing stop the steal. January 6th is not important. Trump is being martyred and that sort of thing. If you're a Democratic candidate, you keep those things. I mean, they did this to Linda Lingle, but that was a lot different at the time. But I think that's I think that the I, I feel, uh, even though I'm not a Republican, feel very sorry for anybody who runs as a Republican candidate because you're basically out there on your own. Uh, Colin, I'd love to get your thoughts on CD2. You know, we did see quite a bit of money unexpectedly come into that race, not necessarily from the candidates themselves, but from these outside groups. What does that say going forward, not just about that race, but about how politics are done here in Hawaii? Sure, that, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. So CD2 was a very strange race because 
Patrick, there was actually more money spent on Patrick Bronco's behalf, far more money uh, than Jill Takuda. And it came from those super PACs, vote vets, one that was aligned with some cryptocurrency interests. And, you know, this this was kind of an interesting puzzle, actually, which is how much can you take a candidate who's a good candidate, but unknown, someone like Patrick Bronco, dump a bunch of money into this into the race? You know, and, and how well will someone like that do at the end of the day? And, you know, the answer we got last or rather on Saturday was OK. Um, but nowhere near um, coming close to threaten someone like Jill Takuda, who's an established um, brand here. So, so what did all this this PAC money do? And I, I, I talk about this in the context of the LG's race, where uh, Be Change now spent over four million dollars on this as well. I think what made the difference here in both cases is that you know there's still a level of institutional support which is very important you can't just run a bunch of social media ads and ads on television and have that translate directly into votes at least not here in hawaii i mean i think one of the reasons uh, to go back to something neil said that that luke did so well for example is that unlike Ikaika, she had all of this institutional support all of these union endorsements and that still means something. I think on the margin, when voters are trying to make up their mind, um, a lot of the voters will trust those endorsements from from uh, from unions, from, from trusted organizations. And so all the all that institutional support was behind Luke. Um, and I think some folks who didn't weren't really sure who, who to vote for at the end of the day, knowing that their union endorsed Luke and she had the vast majority of those probably made the difference. Neil, your thoughts on, on the CD2 race with the negative campaigning that took place, but also just the future of a candidate like Jill Takuda. I remember us having a conversation um, maybe some 10 years ago in an interview I had, and you said, once someone makes it to Congress, unless they decide for a higher office, uh, usually they stick there. Could we see Jill Takuda long term in Washington, D.C.? I mean, how hard is it to answer yes to a, a person who just won, who is reasonably young, who is smart and is a, a district that is never going to go Republican, right? So I think we've had two situations of kind of special candidates who dropped, special incumbents who dropped out, but that's a pretty safe, a pretty safe seat. As for negative ad, well, negative ad is a funny term because you always campaign negatively in some sense. You always can contribute. Uh, criticize your opponent, but this kind of dark money, stuff like that, it's not going to go away, I don't think. It's part of the process, and people are going to try to use it here or elsewhere if they think it's going to work and if nothing else is working. I mean, to me, that's what that's what Bronco did. He didn't have anything else going for him, but he was way too far behind to make a difference. But you know, it's easier to it's easier to raise money from outside sources than it used to be through social media. Candidates from here have been taking money from outside sources for years. People grumble about it, but that's the way it is. And the election laws, they're not going to really change to make it possible to rigidly enforce the kind of difference between participating in the in the campaign and not part, you know, the, the, the arm's length district, the uh, distance between the candidate and the special interest group that's paying for money. So I don't, I, if, if I were a dark money person, uh, this election would remind me that you have to be judicious about throwing your money around. Uh, but judiciousness is not the same as I'm not going to do it anymore because it doesn't work in Hawaii. You know, Neil, you said that you feel sorry for Republicans in the state of Hawaii. So let's talk about some races where uh, party is supposedly, at least ostensibly, not an issue. And that's the Honolulu City Council. Uh, tell us what you think about the seats that were open there and the results that we saw. 
Well, again, you have some that you've had over the last few years, some fairly well-known Republicans uh, going into city council, partly because it's nonpartisan and also because it's an important seat where you can probably influence uh, uh, legislation more than you can anywhere else. They're interesting races because there are a number of open seats and um, the one in, in I, I, the one that to me is the most interesting because what's the final count now on between Okamoto and uh, and uh, Menor? It was like seven after the seven votes. You've got two heavy hitters. You've got people who are re trying to relocate into city council. That's a district that has changed a bit. That's actually a district in which there is relatively strong republicanism. And even if the even if the race is nonpartisan, people know, people remember, and their connections go that way. So that's the the, the one in the North Shore is is to me a little bit harder to read. But uh, they're 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 the most interesting races to me. I mean, if I have to list a, 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 a interesting races. I would put those well up on top and put the governor's race down a ways, just in terms of what peaks might, you know, what not significance. So, you know, if Colin can jump in on some of the others uh, ones if if he wants the the the, uh, the one in your the one in your district, for example. Sure. I mean, so so um, I agree with Neil that you know city council races have been places where Republicans can do well. Of course, Andrea Tapola. Uh, uh, is on the city council. Uh, Valo Komodo did a little better than Ron Manor, which is surprising in part because Ron Manor has been on the city council. He has a huge amount of money and he's so well known. So that's going to be a very, very competitive general election. And I know that Valo Komodo is uh, a very good campaigner. So I wasn't surprised that she came out in the top two, um, even being a Republican and, and being a Republican elected official, running this nonpartisan race really gives her a chance. Uh, on the North Shore race, I was a little bit interested in this because uh, the celebrity candidate, Makua Rothman, although he was in the top two, didn't come out on top. In fact, Matt Weyer, who's more of a traditional lawyer, city administrator, um, you know, he got that number one spot. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Voters have a real choice between someone who's kind of a more of a technocrat um, and someone who is, uh, you know, really running on his celebrity credentials and his roots in the community. He was uh, backed and endorsed by a, a, a Aquaman himself. So, you know, that'll be one to follow. And then District 4 was an incredibly crowded race with a lot of well-known officials. And again, you know, the person with these institutional union political connections is the one who came out on top, Tyler Dos Santos Tam, who's the former head of the Democratic Party, and Tracy Taguchi, who people talk about as being Miss Hawaii, but in fact, she has a lot of legislative experience. She worked with Carol Fukunago and had deep roots in that community. The celebrity candidate in this case, Nalani Jenkins, actually didn't do that well at all. You know, of course, there were all the House and State House and State Senate seats that were also up for grads. Colin, we'll start off with you. Any uh, of those races surprise you at all or any of the races that you feel are the ones to watch as we head into the general? Sure. There, there maybe were a few that surprised me. Um, it's always unusual to see incumbents lose here. Um, and we had a couple cases where they lost because it was two incumbents going against each other. That happened in District um, the Senate district on the Big Island, um, and uh, Roy Takumi and Greg Takayama in central Oahu. Um, Dale Kobayashi actually lost his seat in Manoa, which was a little bit surprising um, just because he has these longstanding connections. He's a son of Ann Kobayashi. Um, I think this was 
a result of some of his more controversial policy positions. And then finally, maybe the most interesting result of all is that Gary Gill, who was on the city council, is a Gill, so has tremendous name recognition, lost to uh, Jenna uh, Takanaguchi, who was Takashi Ono's office manager. And that's that to me is interesting because it shows, at least in a district like that, where a lot of this is based on personal connections. You don't need that many people uh, to support you, to put you over the edge. Someone like an office manager who's had a lot of contact with people who are active in the district can, uh, uh, can beat such a well-established name like Gary Gill. Um, there are going to be some competitive races moving into the general. We don't have a lot of competitive Democrat-Republican races here, uh, but there are going to be some. And let me just highlight three. Um, Britton Ava, who is a former newscaster, uh, won the Republican nomination against Gil Riviere. I always think that first, particularly on the North Shore, which has been Republican, trends Republican, that district, someone with really good media skills who can campaign like Britton Ava uh, really does have a chance against even an incumbent like Gil Riviere. And then two more district and they're right next to each other, District 42 and District 41. Uh, these are represented by Sharon Haar and Matt Lepresti, both of whom had DUIs. Uh, these are districts where Republicans can be competitive. And I think in this case, Diamond Garcia against Sharon Haar, David Alcus against Matt Lepresti, the Republicans really have a chance to pick up two seats here. I don't think that's going to change the overall balance of Republicans and Democrats in the legislature, but you can bet that they're going to they're going to concentrate their resources on them, probably those three races. And Neil, another race that we had been tracking uh, because it was so close the last time and very close this time was Speaker Psyche's race against Kim Coco uh, Iwamoto. What are your thoughts on the way that race played out? I just checked the printout, uh, the fourth printout. It's less than 200 votes. So it's, you know, again, very, very tight. Yeah, it's less than 200 votes, but that's not a tight number anymore, considering what scattering of votes they have to count. I, my impression, I'm not a big person on uh, looking at the number of signs, but it was pretty obvious this time that Psyche worked much harder than he had before. The signs were all over the place. What, what to me is interesting about this race, and if you know Kim Coco Iwamoto, this won't surprise you, this is a race in which it was in, in, that was framed, and she framed it this way, as a true progressive against the moderate. Now, in some ways, that's unfair to Psyche. He's not all that moderate. But it clearly was a race in which there was a taste of ideological differences, which is something about as rare in, in Hawaii as, I don't know, snow anywhere else but on the mountain. So that was one thing. The, the thing that initially surprised me about a couple of the other races that, that Colin mentioned to me, we had two incumbents running, how big the differences were. And I have a hunch in the Senate seat on the Big Island and also the, the uh, Takumi uh, race, Takumi Takayama, is that it depends how those districts were, were drawn. I don't know, you know, in other words, the kind of demographics of what the districts like may have favored one of the candidates in the, in the first place. But I think that the, the Psyche Iwamoto election is kind of the model that progressives would like to see more often here. She's a formidable candidate. She runs for office. She has a lot of progressive support. She's done what progressives here really haven't done. She showed her credentials. But the significant thing, of course, ultimately is that she lost, which is another lesson about how democratic politics tends to work here. Yeah, she lost primarily because he's the incumbent. But also, you start arguing a little bit to the left here and there are certain risks to that. 
you know, we don't have a lot of time, but we do want to get to a few more races. And one of those races is the runoff for Maui mayor. Uh, Neil, your thoughts as we head into this general election with two candidates running for that seat? Ooh, Maui. I mean, Maui is Maui. First of all, they, they, the housing issues, the, the, the kind of issues that face that island are even more dramatic than they are anywhere else. So everyone knew that, that um, Mike Victorino was in trouble. That people tried to recall him. A lot of that seemed to have to do with anti-mandate people. Uh, that's a pretty tough race for Victorino to win again. The candidate who finished second, Bisson, sort of ran as, you know, you know me, I, you can trust me. Um, he was a little bit muted in his criticisms compared to some of, of Victorino compared to some of the others. So that's an interesting race to, to watch. But it's hard to generalize from neighbor island elections because they have their own culture and they have their own issues when it comes to these sorts of things. <laughs> If I could just add on, the thing that I found so interesting about that mayoral race is that Kelly King didn't make it in the top two. We've known that progressives on Maui are really well organized. I mean, yeah. Neil was just talking about ideological politics uh, in Hawaii, how we don't have very much of it. They do have it on Maui. I mean, the progressives clearly name their candidates. They're well organized. It's this interesting coalition of local folks and progressive mainland transplants who kind of come together to create what is a pretty sophisticated political operation. And Kelly King, although she got in the race late, is extremely well known. She had the backing of all of those progressives and she still came in third place, which is, you know, which is was quite surprising to me. I think that, like Neil said, it's going to be very difficult for me to imagine how Mike Victorino pulls this out, because I think all of that progressive support is going to end up with with Rick Bisson, even if they don't love him. Um, I think they he's a much better. They see him as a much better alternative than Victorino. A quick addition to that, that one of the things that's very obvious on, on uh, in politics on the Big Island in regard to progressives is that they're very clear arguments about anti-development versus sustainability, which, of course, are big issues. They're big issues here, but they get muted and they're certainly not muted on the Big Island. I mean, on, on Maui. Well, let's get to some final thoughts. Um, you know, a lot of people feel like in Hawaii politics in particular, these races are really won and lost in the primary. Colin, let's start with you. What are you expecting for November? Also for, you know, voter engagement. Are people going to be watching these as closely? What will the interest be? Or do we expect, you know, what do we expect turnout, turnout to be like uh, come November? engagement's going to be pretty low, I think, going into the general. I mean, you're not going to see the kind of excitement we saw in the primary. People are going to turn out to vote more people than than in the primary, um, because that's just always what happens, because there's just more national media coverage of elections and, and election day. Um, so I think turnout will be OK, but I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of excitement around these races. Um, you know, the governor's race, obviously, that'll be that will be a race. But, uh, you know, it, I think in, in many cases, you know, Green has all of the support um, he needs from Democrats to win. Maybe some of these down ticket legislative races a little bit. I think, you know, really most of the attention is going to end up with these uh, city council races, at least here on Oahu, because those are the most interesting. Um, you know, they're the least predictable. Um, that's where I think we're going to spend, you know, focus a lot of our time um, going into the general talking about them. And that'll be where most of the excitement is. And Neil, your final thoughts as we head on to the general election, what we can expect as we look forward over the next few months. Well, I agree with what how Colin described it. What I would add to that is that low engagement um, and not too many concerns about the seriousness of the contest means business as usual. 
business as usual means Republicans have an even harder job to move forward because Republicans either have to tap in to a large Democratic majority, to, and I'm talking at the higher levels, at the gubernatorial levels, uh, to pick up some votes, or they have to mobilize people who maybe aren't as attached to the to the political system, who don't think of themselves so much in terms of parties, uh, but think of themselves more of what they're suffering. And so I, I think low engagement, I think it's likely to be a, a difficult year for the Republicans. And I want to add again, when I say it's a difficult year for the Republicans, I'm not necessarily saying their candidates are bad or weak or anything else. That's a different argument. I'm saying that what what they're up against in 2020, as in the past years, is so formidable that it's extraordinarily difficult to change. We love your analysis. Thank you both for being here this morning. Neil Milner and Colin Moore, we appreciate all of your insights and we'll be talking to you, of course, ahead of November. Good, looking forward to it. Great to have them break it all down. Interesting to hear the races that they're watching. You both heard, you heard from both of them a lot of interest in what happens in the council races um, and really feeling that a lot of these elections, uh, even though they do go to a runoff uh, between, uh, of course, between the Republicans and the Democrats, that they're sort of asked and answered. Yeah, and you hear both of them say how it's going to be an uphill battle for the Republican Party, specifically for the race for a governor in Josh Green going up against Duke Iona, while you know, both are lieutenant governors. Obviously, Duke Iono had this will be Duke Iono's third time running for this seat. And uh, Neil Milner said it himself that he's lost pretty bad in some of those uh, earlier elections. And he doesn't really see how the Republican Party and Duke Iono will be able to make up the difference. Uh, having said that, knowing that they there is this disparity that uh, the Republican Party and specifically that ticket will have to reach out to some of the Democrats that may have uh, voted against Josh Green here in the primary election. And so we'll have to see how the Iona campaign is able to mobilize themselves moving forward into the general election. Yeah, and he, they did also note some vulnerabilities. Uh, Matt Lopresti and Sharon Har, for instance, uh, are racist to watch, and there are a number of others. Uh, we really appreciate their insight, and it's so interesting. You know, we've had a lot of these candidates on throughout the last few months. We're going to have more of them on, of course, again, leading up to the general. And, and that Maui mayoral race that you noted, Ryan, uh, that's one we'll definitely be watching as well. Yeah, it uh, was an exciting Saturday night, and we'll see how things unfold as we move forward to the general election. Of course, we talked about the race for governor. We'll actually be having the current governor here on our show on Wednesday. We'll be joined by Governor David Ige to get his thoughts on the election and uh, some of the thoughts that he will have about his seat and who would be his predecessor taking over, but also talking about some of the other issues that the state is facing, some of the things that he is working on here in his final months, uh, as well as securing some of the fi federal funding that continues to come in from Washington, D.C., how the state plans to utilize that, as well as getting an update on all the things that is in front of him on the fifth floor. We look forward to that conversation with the governor on Wednesday. Hope you'll join us right back here for another episode of Spotlight Hawaii. We'll see you then. Aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs.